The Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. You bet you get with Caesar Rewards. Must be 21 or older. Welcome back to the Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny, only NFL podcast. One of the hosts goes for two twice a day, morning and afternoon, not at night. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes. Uh, I am joined on this fine Tuesday by my friend, host of the Dominic Fo- or the Foxworth Dominic Foster Show. Donnie Foxworth, featuring no one. <laughs> well, I mean, it's featuring Charlie, but he hasn't provided enough value to get his name in the, in the title yet. Maybe next year. Uh, speaking of maybe next year, big news today. What a segue. Ben- you hosting the shit out of this show already. Ben Johnson. This is actually a perfect segue for us because uh, we're here today. to We're going to talk about the championship games. We've had some time to stew on them. Um, the jocks versus nerds debate is wages on this week. We'll get to that. But, uh, I actually feel like lions fans, this is going to be a fun listen for you because we are kicking off with what I believe is excellent news for lions fans. Like what a, what a soothing balm after the unbelievable disappointment of the weekend. And I was thinking Dominique about after, after the Lions lost to the Niners, and we're going to talk about that and talk about both teams, as well as the other game, of course. Um, Dan Campbell was like brutally honest, their head coach, about how hard it is to get back to that point. He was very realistic and genuine in Dan Campbell fashion, saying, I don't know, man, like, we'll see. You know, I, I believe we can, but it's very hard in the NFL. And I thought, well, the number one reason they're, if they don't get back, it'll be because they're losing their brilliant offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson. Plot twist. He's going nowhere because uh, it was reported today. Adam Schefter put out a tweet that after he he had just interviewed in Washington, I believe his plane was in the air, according to Schefter, which is always a nice uh, piece of sort of scene setting. Uh, he informed the teams that he is staying in Detroit. Uh, so what we know about this, let's see, Schefter said, I, I don't have the exact quote, but he wanted a lot of money, which had been hinted at before, and they didn't meet his... I don't, Schefter didn't say that to be clear, but the, apparently the teams didn't meet his asking price. Um, Nikki uh, Jabava, Jabala uh, with the Washington Post put out a tweet saying he wanted to win a Super Bowl, which as a Seahawks fan, screw you, Ben Johnson. <laughs> uh, no, but the, I, this is, I think this is fascinating, Dominique, because uh. we're actually on year two of Ben Johnson reportedly not wanting a head coach job because last year he was a hot candidate as well. And uh, it was announced he wanted to return to Detroit. I, this It's a little bit hard to diagnose because when things like this happen, everybody's kind of getting their story out. Like it's entirely possible that maybe the teams were kind of trending in a different direction. And it was a, well, I dump you before you dump me thing. Right. That's, totally plausible the money thing is interesting um i so i can't really yeah. i guess get at his motivations i mean were you surprised to see this before we get into the football aspect of it yeah i mean i was surprised because i'm not an insider but it felt like it was a foregone conclusion and living in dc it was kind of like oh he'll be here soon it was kind of the way that it had been presented so mm-hmm. i guess from that way it surprised me but given all the circumstances it didn't surprise me and i'm gonna try to talk about this i just talked about it on my podcast so i'm gonna try to talk about it in a slightly different way but i think there's a lot there to discuss and i think about head coaching and there's like 
three potential motivations and it's just like any job, but the difference is most jobs don't have a championship aligned with them. But I think there's the, how much you like this job, how much they're going to pay you and the extra degree of like, can I win a championship or how important is it to me to win a championship when you're making this decision? And you can overweight any one of those categories in order to overpower the other. So if there is an opportunity that is so special to win a championship, I imagine that Ben Johnson's price would have gone down. You know, if there's just something, some freak occurrence happens and then the the Chiefs are like, hey, Ben, come over here and take over for Andy Reid. I imagine his price would go down. And if the situation there was is not a great situation, there's enough money that he's like, all right, I'll go take this job. But I don't think that they were willing to do any of that. And the final kicker that kind of hit me and thinking about this as we're talking through this is, he seems to be someone who is very coveted and has a lot of leverage. And when you're in that situation, you feel like you deserve and you can get all of the things that you want. And one of the things that coaches often want that it's clear that he was not going to get is some front office power. They seem to have already settled on a GM before they hired a coach. And I think you could pay me enough to deal with that. But if you're not going to pay me enough to deal with that, yeah. I'm going to need to have be able to bring my own guy in. Yeah, that that could be could be it. I it, totally yeah. plausible. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think what what makes it confusing is even though Washington had hired a GM, Adam Peters from San Francisco, and even though Seattle has one in John Schneider. And this isn't me as a homer talking. I think you would agree. Both of those jobs are pretty appealing and, and appealing in very different ways. In Seattle, you already have a fair amount of talent in the building. Um, and in Washington, you get kind of a blank slate. You can put your stamp on that franchise. They have that number two overall pick, which is why it seemed to make sense for a guy like Johnson to come in, draft the quarterback he wanted in such a great draft. So which is, you know, in contrast to last year, I think with Carolina, we were like, all right, you know, I can see why maybe a guy would be a little bit nervous about going to Carolina. Yeah. Not the case. New ownership in Washington. I, it's interesting. Um, I guess the only other thing I would say that I do feel comfortable probably um, intuiting here, Dan Keppel's probably a great boss, right? Yeah, like, that's the I, last I, one. Yep. I, yeah, like, uh, I mean, I was thinking about this watching the Chiefs and Steve Spagnuolo in particular on the sideline, the fact that he stuck around there for so long, there's reasons for that. But Dan Campbell keeping the, the gang together cannot be overstated how valuable that is to Detroit, how significant it is for their chances to get back to this spot next year. And, you know, he Campbell's an offensive guy. There's a lot of offensive coordinators who would probably chafe under that and jump at the opportunity to go somewhere else. And while we don't know exactly why Ben Johnson turned down these jobs or maybe mm, wasn't in consideration, who the heck knows? Yeah, we do know that staying in Detroit must have at least held some appeal for him beyond just the competitiveness of the team. So yet another point for Dan, Dan the man Campbell being one of the best coaches in the NFL.
that's the other factor that I forgot to include in anyone when they're deciding whether to take a job is how comfortable is your current situation? Yeah. That is the best leverage you could have in any negotiation is your your walk away option is strong enough that you're comfortable with taking it. And I think that's why it feels like, especially since those other roles haven't been filled yet, and maybe they were waiting for Mike McDonald too. But I think that's why the narrative around this feels more like Ben didn't want the jobs and less like they didn't want Ben because why wait this long? And it seemed to all mm. kind of come to a head around right now, but there are other coaches out there that could be available. We'll see what happens with the Ravens and Mike McDonald. So we are doing this bit on NFL live today. That's like, why'd they lose? What do they need to do with all the coaches, the teams, part me getting knocked out of the playoffs. And I was assigned, why did they lose for Detroit? Which I just, to jump off into that sort of recapping this. I mean, and, and there's, you know, there, there's legitimate things that are wrong with this team. The secondary, there's issues that were exposed. Pass, um, rush. pass rush being an issue as well. But I was like, I don't know. They fumbled, had drops and a helmet bounced off of a dude's heads into the head and hands into the, or probably his head into the hands of a wide receiver. Um, I like I, yeah. I, I think from the Detroit standpoint, obviously there's a lot of work that needs to be done on the defense. I'm going to talk about that later this week with Greg Rosenthal. But Dominique, from this game, so much fluky crap happened that like it's hard for me. It, it, very different from the Ravens, where I'm like, "You did this bad. You did this bad. I'm so I'm so disappointed with you." I don't feel that way about Detroit. Like, I feel like some of these structural issues were exposed, but I don't think there was like something glaring that they did wrong. There's nothing glaring that they did wrong. I think that you could say the running the ball on third and one at the end of the game. Like there are some things and you could obviously, I was annoyed with them running a fleet flicker and they ran two fleet flickers. Like there are small things that you could push back on. What we're not going to do is push back on the idea to go for it on fourth down because we're football people who like to see football played, not soccer played. So the, that's the one thing that I think is without uh, any question given the opportunity when it's 50 50 to choose to kick or to play football, I'm going to choose to play football. Um, How much they ran the ball in the second half is another pushback, but it also kind of got away from them quickly and they're back into uh, because of the fumble and because of the miraculous helmet catch, they're back at a tie game in no time when it felt like they shouldn't have been. So the, they gave you that assignment. And it's interesting because I think the impulse when you're given that assignment is to connect to two things. It's like what we did wrong should be connected to what we have to do to yeah. get back here in the future. But in this case, I don't think they're connected, yeah. <laughs> you know, cause like, like you mentioned, the reason why they lost this game, I thought was because of fluky things and we can't fix that. I don't want to change the culture. I don't want to become a field goal kicking team, even though we agree that that's not a problem. The issues with this team, they were able to mask through some good coaching and maybe they can address those issues, but that didn't seem to be the problem uh, in the game on Sunday. Yeah. They, they got to address the past defense in the off season. We thought they did last year. There were injuries. He was Mosley. You know, the, the things happen. CJ Gardner Johnson's out for most of the season. Um, so they'll have to figure that out. I, I think, um, from this game, and one more thing about the Lions before we get to the San Francisco 49ers, I was really impressed by Jerry Goff. And yeah. that, to me, has been kind of 
the story of not just the season, but in particular the postseason. Uh, he look, he started a little bit under pressure in this game, although I thought the Lions offensive line did a pretty good job of keeping him clean for much of it. But I, I really think, and this is a pretty interesting thought as we look at guys like Tua Tungavailoa and ask, you know, what can, can they improve as a quarterback? Because I think there's some similarities there. I genuinely believe he is a better quarterback now than he was two, four, six years ago. And I thought that really showed up in this game, making difficult throws outside the numbers in particular extent. Like the, the Reynolds drop was he did a fan golf, did a fantastic job of extending and, and evading a rusher. Um, and I think again, for spinning forward to the lions, if you had asked me a year ago, should they keep Jared Goff? I would have been like, I don't know, extension. Yeah. Uh, I feel pretty good about it after what he did in the playoffs this year. Man, I'm so happy to be here with you. I just, like I mentioned, I just finished recording my podcast and we had Kevin Clark and Charlie Kravitz trying to argue that they should not be, uh, in their defense, they were arguing that they shouldn't pay Jared Goff um, going rate for quarterback is like hardball. I'm like, okay, I agree with you. If you can pull it off by all it's means, but if you have, yeah, but if you have to pay him, pay this man, like you have a chance to win a championship. He's proven that you've gotten close enough and he was not the issue. Yes. He's not perfect. Nobody is, but this is a, the same argument we have all the time. If you think that you go wait around and find one of them dudes, then you are mistaken. They aren't out there. You can keep drafting them and hoping. But until then, what you need to do is draft well everywhere else or try your best to draft well everywhere else, coach well, and pay your quarterback what he deserves. Don't start messing around with him. Don't franchise tag him because then you lose the leverage to franchise anybody else and use that leverage to negotiate. Like it just it seems so obvious uh, to me. And people point to Daniel Jones, but they didn't sign Daniel Jones to a long-term contract. And like, I get it. Maybe you don't want to get in that situation, but that ain't what we were looking at. Like we, we watched them this year. This was not Daniel Jones. This was an entirely different thing. Yeah. I, I think with Jones, so much of the production was schemed up for mm -hmm. him the prior season. And while the Lions offense is very good, Goff makes difficult throws as well. I mean, you know, I, I, and I, I halftime four things went off the rails I, um, you know, one of the most interesting kind of plot lines in this game was the battle. And I think Olsen actually, like Greg Olsen actually called it like the battle between the numbers because Jared Goff's so good throwing over the middle of the field. The Lions are so well built for that with their their receivers. And then the Niners defend it so well. At a certain point, I think it was maybe, maybe at halftime I posted this, he was like seven for eight in the seams. And guys weren't wide open. I mean, he rips it there. So anyways, good game. Uh, I'm going to talk more about the lions later. I, I think for San Francisco, um, you know, I, the defensive struggles were exactly what we thought they would be. It was like from the first few drives, um, some of the struggles defending the run were like entirely predictable. Some of the missed tackles entirely predictable. Um, I was more surprised in the first half by the struggles of the Niners offense against the lions defense. And then I was extremely impressed by what Brock Purdy did in the second half as a creator. And I think that's the story of the game. Brock Purdy using his legs. It's been the single biggest thing that, you know, he's different from Jimmy Garoppolo in, in, in a few different ways. Um, which is why, 
which is why the whole game manager thing is so stupid. Like the criticism of him has the accurate criticism of him has never been that he's a game manager. It's turnover worthy plays at times and you know, whatever he, he, he's always been good with his legs and always been mobile and always looked to throw downfield on the move in this game. It was ultimately the difference. The fact that, um, you know, he was able to make some pretty impressive throws uh, after breaking the pocket and then uh, three very crucial scrambles um, all against different looks. You know, I think it's the kind of thing where if you turn your back and play man coverage, he can take off it. One thing that there, I can't remember which down it was. I think it was Jack Campbell dropped in the middle of the field to take away the in-breaking stuff, which we assume against San Francisco and had so much depth that Purdy just took off. What it does is it, it it limits yet another thing that defenses can do to try to take away their core concepts. So it's it's very important for this offense, and he is he's he's good at it, man. Yeah, and it'll bring that that um underneath coverage down and make the windows bigger and easier to hit. But yeah, I think the game manager slash uh, game changer, I guess, is the way that Cam framed it. We had it as uh, they're actually reasonable words to describe quarterbacks, but they're like tiered, which isn't fair. I think you can be a good game manager and a bad game manager. And obviously there's a continuum for that. And the same thing for like a game changer, because I think that Brock Purdy falls into that category. His style of play is that like, he's going to do game changing things. Sometimes they're going to hurt you and sometimes they're going to help you. And in the course of this game was the perfect this is the perfect depiction of him throwing those passes at certain times where we're like, oh, you're trying to change the game in the wrong way. And then also running and making plays going forward. And I think looking at what Patrick Mahomes did, like obviously he's the best quarterback we have in the league and one of the best we've ever seen. But what I thought he did that was really impressive and has been for much of this this year in this Super Bowl run is managed, he managed to shoot. The hell? Yeah, he I managed. said this is what, that's what I said at the beginning of NFL Live yesterday. I was like, yeah. Patrick Mahomes was an elite game manager. Like this is why yes. the labels are not necessarily. And by the way, he was incredible. It was right. exactly what was required of him. He was an amazing. He's you know, yeah. Anyway, it felt like the first couple of drives of that game for Mahomes. He was like, all right, I'm game changer, Mahomes. Okay, now we're gonna see what the Ravens can do. And until the Ravens put some pressure on us, I am not going to allow this defense to make the game-changing play. It's fine. We're not going to score a ton, but unless they make me do deep dropbacks and throw in the tight windows, I'm not going to put the ball at risk. I'm going to manage the out of this game. The I can't remember exactly. It was, I think, in the third quarter was when Purdy climbed, broke the pocket, and then, speaking of Jack Campbell, he sort of, like, through like a sky hook yeah. over him to, and it was an incredible catch by Jawan Jennings who's so yes. underrated by the way as a player right. but um I was watching that and uh Olsen was like well you're not really supposed to do that <laughs> but it was what was required of him I mean they, they they needed a quarterback to take some risks at that point and um yeah it's it's very oh. ungame managery when he does I was wondering in that series of plays, I was wondering what Jawan Jennings did to Brock Purdy because first he threw that first hospital ball, then he yeah. followed it two plays later with another hospital ball for Jawan Jennings uh, at the goal line. He was, and those were not managing throws. Those was changing throws out there, risky game changer throws. I mean, I think 
if there was a, there was a stat that like, well, the scrambles, the three carries for 52 yards really captures mm. um, what he did this game. And then the other thing is when he was outside the pocket he went four for five for 49 yards and a plus 10% completion percentage over expected. And that kind of captures, Oh, that's the difference in this game that uh-huh. he, he literally went into playmaking mode in a few key moments and right. it was enough. And um, you know, he deserves all the credit in the world for doing that. Uh, we'll get to the Kansas City Chiefs and how he matches up with them and how they might approach him. And certainly some of the pressure looks he get will be very different, obviously. But all told, um, yeah, that was kind of that was kind of it for me in this game. I mean, Bosa, you know, had some big plays. Obviously, the pass rush kind of came alive as it went along. Um, yeah, I, I, it, it, it was sort of a fascinating game because in the end, like when I look at like the story of the game, a lot of the things that happened were predictable. Just the manner in which it all unfolded was insane. Um, but the like comeback. if I had told you beforehand that like, oh, they won because Brock Purdy made some plays at the end with his arms and his legs, you would be like, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, it sounds about right. But I mean, the idea that this team could come back, that was the big knock on them is they're not a comeback team. They've done it recently in back-to-back games. And it rem- it's a reminder that, um, that, uh, Brock Purdy is the quarterback that Kyle Shanahan needs. And we've seen this time and time again that it feels like these quarterbacks that he has that are actually like game managers don't have it in them to take the risk or do the thing that's needed that's outside of structure. And Brock Purdy's that guy. And it feels never it's never been more obvious to me, at least, that Brock Purdy deserves a lot of credit that we've been as a media sports media complex as a whole been hesitant to give him. Uh, because he is kind of making the difference. But yeah, it's tough when you're this type of player because when they lose, it's going to be because Brock Purdy did some of this stuff. Like if they lose in the next round, part of it's going to be because the Brock Purdy hit a couple guys in the chest with the ball. But if they have a chance to win, it's because Brock Purdy is going to scramble and do some special things. He's um, only in his second year. It's crazy. That as well. Yeah. Who does he remind you of? <sighs> That's a tough one. Little Roman. Um, yeah, I think so. There's definitely like a, I don't know. He doesn't have the arm. Like I feel like Romo had a better arm than than him. I think that's yeah. the that's the hard part is players like him don't get a chance. That's why he's Mister Irrelevant. Because like with that size and that speed, and then an arm that's like not a wow arm, it's hard for a guy like that to get a chance like this. It's hard to think of somebody who isn't uh, who's that size and can't just really rip it. Yeah. I'm a football guy. I said rip it. I hate that. I said rip it earlier when I talked about Jared Goff. I feel like Jared Goff does rip yeah. it though. <laughs> he rips it. Um yeah. Anyways, you know, I, I was impressed. Um uh we'll have plenty of time over the next couple of weeks to talk about the matchup with uh Steve Spagnola and the Chiefs. Well, and let's get to them. Let's take a quick break, come back and talk about the Chiefs and the Ravens. Why should you bet with Caesars Sportsbook? Two words, Caesars Rewards. Every bet brings you closer to the types of benefits only Caesars can offer. Hotel stays, VIP experiences, sports and concert tickets, and more. It's not just an app. 
It's an empire. 21 and older must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, or Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Utah, and other states were prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Ohio, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537. Or in Maryland, visit mdgamblinghelp.org. West Virginia, visit 1800gambler.net. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, D.C., Nevada, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, if you or a loved one is experiencing problems with gambling, please call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org for 24-7 support. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. Okay, let me ask you a question because I haven't decided how I feel about this. This is a very TV-ish question. Love it. Do you feel, were you more impressed by Steve Spagnolo in the Chiefs defense or more disappointed by Lamar Jackson, Todd Munkin in the Ravens offense? Yeah, definitely disappointed. Yeah. Um, if it's going to be more. So like I, this is the tough thing about whenever we ask these questions, it feels like you're very staunchly opposed to the other side when you're really just kind of picking nits. It's a hair between the two. But yeah, I think because of what we've seen this Ravens team do all year and because they had the dynamism to like react to what defense were giving them and they didn't. So like, it's hard for me to be super impressed with what Spags did because they didn't act, they didn't ask Spags to adjust. And that's what I would have liked to have seen is they didn't at any point dismantle what he was doing and force him to to go to the second page of his game plan. So, yeah, I was disappointed because the Ravens never got to the second page of their game plan. Or maybe they skipped the first page and went straight to the second page. It was like, hey, make them stop the run first, guys. It was jarring after last week in particular in which we saw the Ravens offense, Munkin Lamar come out in the second half and make such tremendous adjustments to the blitz. That ball was coming out hot guys were open underneath Lamar was the, the he was, he threw the ball super quickly. Right. And uh-huh. in that game, he averaged 5.8 air yards per attempt versus the blitz. It was very effective in this game. He averaged over 10, so many low percentage balls down the sideline, go balls. It didn't. And I, and I, I, I have to say, I think him and Munkin both deserve equal parts blame Munkin for mm-hmm. especially the pass heavy game, which didn't make sense, but also rewatching some of the plays where Lamar was blitz guys were actually open here and there underneath. And he was just yeah. ignoring them. And that is, you know, I am obviously very pro Lamar Jackson, but the tape is what it is. And he was, I was mystified by his performance against the Blitz and then the unwillingness to scramble against the four man rush. It's incredibly frustrating. And like, I was sitting in the stands amongst like fans. Right. And sometimes, 
Yeah, sometimes I forget how nuts like fans can be and they were going nuts. And I kind of understood because it's like, throw the ball, man, throw it, throw it. Like, what are you, it, and yeah, this is, I remember last week when we both like celebrated how their good their offense was. But if you remember on this show, I think with you, or maybe it's my show, either way, we talk a lot. So I mentioned that I was impressed with how they adjusted but I also was disappointed at it taking them so long And the defense, the Ravens defense deserve credit for holding them off until half until Lamar could get in at halftime and say, give me some answers to the blitz. And I told you last week that it wasn't super frustrating for me because it took them that long. It was frustrating for me because they seemed caught off guard by the idea that they were going to get blitzed. And the history of Lamar Jackson, the one thing, that has ever been said to be like his kryptonite is the blitz ever since that dolphins game i guess it was a couple years ago they were like hey blitz him he doesn't have an answer for it why did they take long last week to have an answer for it and lamar seemed incredibly comfortable in the second half and also why did they take long this week to have an answer for it and why was lamar like so so many times it felt like he came out looking at the wrong side and I was like, and the Zay Flowers big touchdown that he had, like Lamar, Zay's wide open right there to your left, and he completely ignores him until he breaks the tackle, oh, spins yeah. out, and throws a long touchdown. And so I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get why every week they want to do these slow developing yeah. deep down the field um, routes when they know that people are going to bl- – their answer is going to it's be blitz until you show Spagnolo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And not even that it's him, but yeah, also that it's him. Yeah. It's what confusing. Gonna, what do you think's gonna happen? Yeah. I I I I don't know. I it was I was this is one of the more frustrating offensive performances yeah. of the year, especially again, we've just seen them win these types of games win against like in so many different ways. And I do want to give the Chiefs defense credit. I thought Pass rush was really impressive, you know, against a very good Ravens offensive line. They were winning their one on the four man rush was winning too. It wasn't just the blitz. Some of the blitzes were really freaky and funny, um, which I'm sure factored into some of the Lamar um, hesitance in throwing to guys versus the blitz is like at times he was probably taken by surprise. Um, And then rewatching them, you know, they, 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 it was he did some interesting things to to spring guys, yeah. uh, you know, uh, get get guys going up against the Ravens running backs. Who, by the way, get get a pass protecting running back, Baltimore. Good yes. grief! My gosh, they got smacked. Just, just safeties, just pushing them to the ground. What is going on? It was bad, and they they did like roll the coverage to the the quick response a couple times. Where, but they guessed right a couple times. All right, yeah. throw it away. Uh, or tuck it and, and be Lamar Jackson. Um, I think this Chiefs defense is excellent. And I do think it, we probably – it that has flown under the radar a little bit, how good – I mean, it, you know, we've talked about it. The Chiefs defense is yeah. good, but they, they were outstanding in this game. Um, so I don't want to act like, you know, this is like the Ravens totally beat themselves. Not the case. Um, and then, you know, the Ravens defense. Like, they, at the beginning of the game, I was I – was, Distort- a little nervous because uh, like you said Mahomes came out and the first two drives 
uh, it, it looked like it was going to be a shootout and we were going to get a repeat. And maybe that's what influenced, by the way, the, the Munkins play calling yeah. the rest of the game. I think it did. And, and the way Lamar played as well, trying to hunt, hunt for the big plays. Uh, but after that, the defense put the clamps on Kansas City. Um, and they looked more like they have all year in terms of tackling, blowing up screens, getting pressure, con- you know, slowing up the quarterback. So, you know, fantastic start to finish. It wasn't like the Browns were at the end. They got like, whoa, that was ugh, what happened to this defense. So not the case at all with Baltimore. They were very good by the end. Um, I do want to take a moment, though, to you, you mentioned this at the beginning. Patrick Mahomes. In this phase of his career is just so fun to like, he's so complete. You know what I I, I, I was thinking? Um I mean, yeah, the God, the throw to Kelsey, that connection being what it was, being what it is now, looking like it always has is, is it's why they're here. But I think what struck me in this game, just thinking about the last two rounds, he's the only quarterback who either hasn't turned the ball over or thrown a ball that should have been turned over, <laughs> which some of the other quarterbacks have. Man. I, I, like, yeah, like, we really, if the, I, there's, I, I was kind of joking. I went on Bo's pod about how joking about how he's kind of underrated now. And like, that's sort of a, a meme, but yeah. if there is something that's underrated, it's just how he sees the field better than any quarterback right now. The mental acumen, um, you oh, know, against a, a, a very tricky defense. Yeah, there's a few things about this that I thought were special for Mahomes. And one is that he's kind of in the reverse Brady trajectory where Brady was like managing the game and then grew into like a superstar type of player. It was a couple years ago, I guess it was last season, and it was the year before that, where they where we started to see him have to address the fact that he's not going to be able to hit 30 40 yard passes every game and he like grew and i was thinking about this the other night how his this is like chapter two i think of his last dance documentary and this chapter is definitely going to be about him maturing and not having to win every game because of his awesome left-handed no-look passes and incredible deep balls and it also to me is about him maturing into his own type of leader because we've always heard like the Jordan way of doing things. And he is like the antithesis of that. Whereas if Michael Jordan threw a pass to MVS that he dropped to lose a game, he would have punched him in the face, right? And he'd have been, he'd have been crying about this is the only way I know how to do this and this is how we do it. And Patrick Mahomes' response to that was, I should have thrown it shorter. And as Bo pointed out to me, he actually threw it shorter in this game. <laughs> that catch that MBS, MBS had was Mahomes throwing it shorter. In his whole season, he was very frustrated and it seemed like he was on the brink, like, Imagine this documentary with me, right? That's what this chapter is about, is how they tested his his patience as a teammate and how he's flipping out on refs and on the sidelines, but never directly going at them. And it paid off because Patrick Mahomes learned how to lead in a loving way. It's going to be a great episode. I can't wait. Do we think in that documentary that MVS recognizes any of that when he's being interviewed or he's just like, yeah, he finally hit me this time? <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, I hate when you read the mind of football players. No, I think that he will say, I appreciated that Patrick had my back and he knew that he could trust me despite the fact that I messed up. While they will not interview Kadarius Tony for this documentary because he's not injured, guys. Just in case you didn't know, he's not injured. Uh, uh, yeah, no, it was... Um... Yeah, I don't know. I, I you know, you think I, I really felt like this Ravens team was so complete that I was comfortable. Yeah. I wasn't picking against Patrick Mahomes. And you know what? If the Ravens had run the ball, we might be yeah. having a different conversation. <laughs> so I'm not going to apologize for picking the Ravens because they didn't do what they were supposed to. They didn't take literally every human on earth who talks about football in the week leading up to this game was like, Chiefs can't really stop the run was not some brilliant insight and yet and yet the number one running team in the nfl said nah eight carries maybe less That's so nah so, you know who's so you know who's not gonna do that san francisco 49ers they're gonna run yeah. the damn ball <laughs> <laughs> they definitely are they're gonna run it on team and they're going and patrick mahomes is not going to only have 17 points and he's not going to be this casual game manager like it's going to require something and that 49ers defense is is extremely gettable they're gettable it's a very different team from i was looking back at some of the the rosters from 2019 when these teams played last and trying you know just thinking about the bad but the chief side that you don't have Tyree kill but your defense is definitely better on the Niners side I think the defense is actually a little bit worse and vulnerable yep. in certain ways but the offense is better the quarterback I I, I do believe is right. better and um you know one thing that really uh shocked me in that game looking back the Chiefs played so much man coverage and the Niners in that game averaged like 0 0.03 EPA per play versus the Chiefs man coverage uh in 20 in the, in the 2019 Super Bowl. You know what they averaged this year versus man coverage? What's that? 0.39 baby. <laughs> Cuz uh you got a bunch of guys who are uncoverable. So uh right. it's it's going to be a really interesting rematch. Obviously, we have all week to get into that. Next week um I will be we'll do a podcast earlier in the week. Then we have our live show in Las Vegas. Um, so we'll put that on this feed as well. If you in, are in Las Vegas and you want tickets, go to bit.ly slash Mina Fox. Come by, come through. Uh, we'll be joined by our friends, Kevin Clark and Bill Barnwell. Um, and I'll be putting out stuff all week. Are you going to be in Vegas all week? Yeah, I'll be there um, Tuesday. I get there Tuesday. Um, my son's birthday is on Sunday, so I'm going to leave on Friday. He, I had the tickets because he's a Ravens fan and Patrick Mahomes ruined his birthday. He was going to be there for the thing, but he, Patrick Mahomes saved me some, a lot of money. So <laughs> thank, thanks, Patrick. Now I don't got to buy incredibly overpriced Super Bowl tickets. Appreciate this you, Patrick. This is our first time we've attended the Super Bowl uh since definitely pre-pandemic right was houston, yeah, houston no atlanta was atlanta uh miami were you in miami oh yeah miami was the last pre yeah, yeah. yeah. that was when i got but... hit by a car <laughs> remember oh, that <laughs> i forgot that you just mentioned it you're amazing <laughs> you are amazing so i'm just walking out the street and an suv jumped a curb and hit oh, me gosh <laughs> I, it really honestly casts into uh, doubt my uh, my I'm like 
you know, like, oh my God, how did Lamar Jackson not see this open guy underneath in 2.25 <laughs> seconds to 2.5? Literally was walking. A car jumped and it hit me and I was so slow reacting. I just, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> It happened like in slow motion too. Ah <laughs> uh, yes. Oh man. Well, we we have always lots of good stories when we hang out. So I'm sure we'll have some new stories. If you're not too busy to hang out in Vegas, should be fun. Can't wait. All right. Well, uh, back later this week to hopefully announce Seahawks head coach Mike McDonald. That's gonna be very funny when. <laughs> It's not what happens, and you guys listening to this can laugh. All right, I'll be back.